As I mentioned, we're continuing our series called The Church I See, and this has been a, a vision series talking about what, uh, what God might be leading and calling uh, SunWest into uh, in this next, this next season. And we've covered a variety of topics over this, uh, what's going to turn out to be probably about an eight-week series by the time it's done here. Um, and so we talked about mission, right? And, and, and when the church is trying to figure out uh, what it's about, it needs to have central, uh, the great commission and the great commandment of Jesus to make disciples of all nations. That's what we understand as the great commission, uh, co-partnering with God to make disciples and the great commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. And uh, so we've talked about mission and we've talked about discipleship. Uh, we, we talked about intercultural, the intercultural aspect of God's kingdom. When we read in Revelation, uh, the new Jerusalem describes uh, people from every tongue, language, and nation uh, worshiping God together and how uh, we need to be a foretaste of that, uh, a suburb of the new Jerusalem, if you will, today. Uh, and last week, we talked about intergenerational uh, uh, ministry, the intergenerational relationships in the church, uh, that we want to be a church that has uh, people from young to old worshiping God together uh, and learning from one another. And so this week, uh, the, the title this morning is called Peacemaking is Greater Than Pacifism, and that's going to need some explanation. Uh, so if you bear on with, with me for a little bit, uh, you'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about uh, there. I just want to review a couple of things. Uh, so when we talked about discipleship, we talked about uh, intercultural ministry. Uh, we used uh, this graph uh, to describe what we're talking about. So D1 to D4 uh, is used to describe the journey of discipleship. So discipleship means uh, as a disciple, you are living in a way where you're following Jesus. You're trying to mimic Jesus, the way that Jesus lived, what he taught, uh, that he is your functional Lord. And that's the process of discipleship. Uh, the numbers there reflect... The, uh, the stages of growth of a disciple. Uh, so when somebody first comes to a saving relationship with Jesus, the Bible refers to them as someone who's been born again. And so uh, very similar to an infant, they are learning a new way of living. They are learning uh, the life that God has for them. And that takes time to develop. And as they grow in the relationship with God and, and uh, as they follow him more fully, uh, they move from infancy to, to childlikeness as they learn language, as they learn to speak to God, uh, and then eventually they will, they will move into a, a period of young adultness, right, where they're, they're moving on, they're growing up, they're, they're able to take on responsibility and leadership, and eventually uh, they will be parents. And so the mark of parenthood is that you have reproduced. And so a parent disciple is someone who's discipling disciples. And so that's what the D1 to D4 represent uh, in that journey of discipleship. The M4 to M1 uh, describes the cultural distance uh, that someone might have uh, to understanding the gospel or having a gospel conversation. So each one of those numbers would represent uh, some kind of hurdle or boundary, and it could be something as simple as language. Uh, you know, we speak different languages, so it's hard to have a conversation. But uh, the more uh, barriers or boundaries there are to that uh, would would be indicated by the number, right? So, uh, you know, someone of a different religion and a different language and a different culture, you know, those would, uh, that might be someone who's in an M3 or an M4 four category. So uh, we spoke about that in previous weeks, so I won't spend more time doing that, but I'm going to refer to that again later. So I just wanted to be a quick review. But the whole idea behind that is describing, is trying to help us articulate or think about how do we 
join God in the mission that he's doing in the world? And how do we continue to grow uh, as individuals and as a community in what God is calling us to? And we want to think strategically uh, about that. And it might involve rethinking how we've done things in the past. And, and I went to, uh, some of you saw me post this this week on, on Instagram, but I went to my son's, uh, it's a, what do they do, a parent tour, and they were showing me the book that he wrote, and uh, the book was What I Like to Do. Uh, and it says, I like to have baths with my pagans. Uh, and so I didn't know if he was kind of getting to a new missional evangelism strategy. Uh, but then I realized that I saw the picture of the penguins there. And I think he meant to say penguins. Uh, he likes to bath with his pang- penguins. But, uh, you know, maybe he was kind of just being totally, you know, forward thinking and thinking outside of the box on how we might reach people that don't know Jesus. At least I use my pagans, right? Like it's like there's this ownership there that I that I appreciated. So anyways, we want to think strategically about how do we reach people that don't yet know Jesus, but also how do we grow and not just stay stagnant in our own relationship uh, with Christ? And and that's really been the foundation of what we've been talking about in the Church I See uh, sermon series. So peacemaking is greater than pacifism. At the end of the day, I believe that what Jesus is calling us to is ultimately about peacemaking. Uh, And you'll see what I mean in a second, but in our vision statement, uh, it says we are a multi-campus church family committed to equipping and releasing individuals to fulfill God's mission in the communities where he places us. So uh, our mission statement is Sunwest exists to guide all people into a lifelong authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. That That is for all time. That is what we're about um, how we go about doing that is what we try to describe in the, in the vision statement. I want to focus on uh, equipping and releasing individuals, which we started to talk about last week, uh, to fulfill God's mission. So the equipping and releasing and God's mission is what I want to talk about this morning. In Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, it says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And I've, I've taught on those uh, that fivefold gifting in the past, and we will teach on that uh, as we move forward into the future. Uh, but I want to focus on this next chunk of Ephesians 4. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the fullness and complete standard of Christ. So to equip God's people to do His work. You know, a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching, I tried to go out of my wheelhouse um, and use an illustration in pop culture uh, from The Bachelor, and that didn't work out for me very well. Uh, I thought it was funny, but I obviously missed something. So I'm going to stick in my wheelhouse this morning, and I'm going to use a basketball analogy uh, just, to, just to play it safe. Um, how many of you guys have heard of LeBron James before? A few of you guys, uh, most of you guys, even if you don't know basketball, you probably heard the name LeBron James. How many of you guys have heard of Tyron Lue? Anybody? Okay, a couple of guys that that I know watch basketball, but probably most of us don't know who Tyron Lue is. This is LeBron James here, and talking to Tyron Lue. Uh, And the reason I, we actually gave this uh, picture out to our staff this past week, and I'll I'll explain why. Uh, LeBron James is... Six foot, eight inches, 250 pounds. Tyron Lue is six foot, 175 pounds. They were both NBA players. Um, but 
Tyron Lue was maybe, maybe an average NBA player. Uh, let's just look at their stats to give a picture of... Uh, so LeBron James, 30,000, almost 800 career points. Tyron Lue, 4,700. LeBron James, 8,300 rebounds. Tyron Lue didn't even hit 1,000. LeBron James, 8,000. Tyron Lue, uh, almost 2,000. Total steals. LeBron James, almost 1,900. Ty Lue... To or almost 300. LeBron James, 900 for total blocks. Ty Lue, 10 blocks in his whole career. Come on, Ty. That's, uh, you think you'd get lucky a little bit. Uh, LeBron James, over 1,100 total games played, and Tyron Lue, 554 games played. Points per game, 27 points per game for LeBron James over the course of his career. Ty, Got eight and a half points a game, rebound seven to one, assist seven to three. I mean, Ty Lue was even a point guard and he only got three assists a game. Steals per game, one and a half to half blocks per game, almost one block a game. Tyron Lue, 0.0 blocks a game. Uh, I guess that 10 didn't quite register. How about this? Let's look, let's look at their individual accolades. Uh, MVPs, LeBron James got four MVPs. Le Ty Lue, zero. Finals MVP, three, tie, zero. All-NBA first team, LeBron James, 11, tie, zero. All-NBA teams, 13 to zero. All-defensive first teams, five to zero. All-defensive teams, six to zero. Scoring leader uh, record, uh, LeBron James, one. Ty Lue, none. Rookie of the year, LeBron only won that one year. Uh, tie, none. So what's the point? Well, the reason that this picture here is significant is because Ty, Tyron Lue is LeBron James's coach. So think about this for a second. You have one of the best, now I'm not a LeBron James fan, let me just, let me just give a disclaimer from the get-go, but uh, arguably one of the best players uh, in the conversation with Michael Jordan, one of the best players of all time. Ty Lue, definitely not in that conversation, yet... Tyron Lue is LeBron James's coach. Can you imagine the dynamics? If you're LeBron James, you're one of the best players in all of history, and your coach is someone that didn't even average a block a game. You can imagine the dynamics in that type of relationship. And the reason I, I'm bringing this, out, this up is because I believe when, when the Bible talks about equipping and releasing people for the work of ministry, that ultimately, as we mature in our relationship with Christ, as we become mature disciples, it becomes less about being LeBron James and more about being Tyron Lue. Tyron Lue's role is to actually increase the capacity of the team that he's coaching to be more effective together, right? LeBron James is about being the best player he can possibly be. But at the end of the day, LeBron, even LeBron James has to come under the coaching of his coach, regardless of that coach's playing career because the role of the coach is different than the role of a player. You know, as a coach, I, I, I can sympathize with the difficulty on this because, uh, you know, I'm an assistant coach at Centennial High School, and the first few years I coached, I'd, you know, I got into every single drill with the kids, and I just tried to, tried to prove uh, by beating them in drills that uh, I was worth listening to. You know, a few years back, I realized I was running a little bit slower 
scoring a little bit less, making more and more mistakes. And so the past couple of years, I've hardly gotten, Brent can testify, I don't even get into the drills hardly anymore at all. Uh, I, I coach with Brent Johansson there. Uh, and in my immaturity, my, my thinking was, I have to be a better player in order to be an effective coach. What happens when you think that way is you become a ceiling to your team. Is this making sense? If, if, if you're leading people and, and nobody else can outshine you, then you actually become a ceiling to your team. A good coach recognizes that their, their authority, their calling, their mandate as a coach has nothing to do with them as a player, but everything to do with what they've been called to. Um, and so when we look at Ephesians, let me read this again. The responsibility. So a category that says, as those who have been asked to, to be leaders and staff in a church, the, the responsibility of, of these who are gifted in this way is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. To equip God's people to do his work. So as a staff, we had a conversation this past week, just a reminder that our role is actually not to do ministry, but to increase the capacity of our faith community to do the ministry that God's calling us to do. And if we do too much ministry, then we actually get in the way of that. We actually become a ceiling to that. And I think for us to move forward into the church that God's calling us to be, there needs to be a some shifting of mentality, both uh, from those in leadership, but also from those who aren't in leadership. Because uh, you, you can tell that the, the mentality actually goes both ways. We have staff or we have leadership team to do the ministry. Well, that's not true. Actually, in fact, our staff and our, those who are in leadership are there to equip you to do the ministry. And this shows up for, when, you know, when I hear comments, something like, um, you know, no, nobody... Nobody cared for me when this happened in my life. Uh, and often, you know, a small group or a ministry team rallied around them, cooked meals for them, maybe visited them in the hospital. Uh, but what they mean is maybe somebody on the leadership team or maybe a staff didn't uh, fulfill the expectations that they had on staff. And it's, it can become a vicious cycle because the staff get into, staff or leadership often get into ministry because they feel called to help people. And so, uh, so the temptation is just to help and help and help and help. But when we do that, and it actually ha it can happen from our own insecurity, uh, we perpetuate, I think, a biblical model of church, that, or an unbiblical model of church, uh, when the Bible is describing something quite different. If we're, in, if we're in leadership, if you're a mature disciple of Jesus, you're not called just to do ministry, you're actually called to increase the capacity of the church to do ministry. And so what is this work that we're called to increase the capacity to do? And I believe the work that we're called to is peacemaking. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace, and it means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. So pacifism, the way I'm using the word this morning, reflects the disengagement from, passive, from, from conflict. So when we think of the word pacifism, we think, you know, retreating or leaving a place or a, you know, a situation where there's conflict. 
On Palm Sunday, which is today, we know that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the procession of a king, but he came on a donkey, not with a horse and chariot. His throne was a cross on a hill, not a throne in a palace. Jesus brings peace. His kingdom of peace comes in a different way. And when the Bible describes peace, in the Old Testament, the word is shalom. And the most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. And so the Hebrew Old Testament word shalom, and the New Testament, the Greek word is arene. And the most basic meaning of shalom, as I said, is complete or whole. And this word can refer to a stone that is in perfect or whole shape or multiple stones that kind of make up a complete or whole wall. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness or wholeness. It's like Job who says, here, you will know that your home is safe when you survey your possessions and nothing will be missing. That word safe, there's actually the word shalom. You'll know that your, your home is shalom. It's in a state of shalom because he counted his possessions and nothing was missing. So this is also why shalom can refer to a person's well-being, being like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these things is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. There's a lack of shalom. Life is no longer whole, complete. Something needs to be restored. In fact, the basic meaning of shalom when you use it, this is the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to, to make complete or restore. So here we see three times each year Solomon presented burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar he had built for the Lord. He also burned incense to the Lord, and so he finished the work of building the temple. So the word finished there is shalom. That Solomon completed, he brought to wholeness what he started in the temple. Or for an example, if an animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, as is here in Exodus 22, if someone steals an ox or donkey or a sheep and it's found in the thief's possession, then the thief must pay double the value of the stolen animal. That word pay is shalom. You bring shalom by giving them complete repayment for the loss that they incurred. So you take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. This goes not only for losing animals or building a wall, uh, but also for human relationships. When people live lives that please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace. So the word peace here, shalom, are at shalom with them. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, but it means they actually start working together for others' benefit. And the state of shalom is what God had in mind for Israel all along, but it rarely ever happened. And so you see prophets that are proclaiming this idea of shalom, this completeness, this wholeness that God is wanting to bring about. And, and one familiar passage for you might be in Isaiah that we read around Christmas time. For a, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. His government and its shalom will never end. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to this future king, a prince of shalom, which we, which we celebrate today on uh, Palm Sunday. And his reign would bring shalom with no end, a time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all the wrongs and heal all that has been broken. So this is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of peace or a rene, because the New Testament is written in, in Greek. 
But same concept, the shalom. So in John 14, we have Jesus came to offer his peace. I'm leaving with you a gift of peace of mind and heart. And the peace, the shalom, the irene I give is a gift the world cannot give. And Eugene Peterson, who wrote the paraphrase of the message, taps into this deep, multi-layer idea of shalom. And he says, I'm leaving you well and whole. That's how he defines peace. That's my parting gift to you. Peace. I don't leave you the way you're used to being left, feeling abandoned, bereft. So don't be upset. Don't be distraught. I'm leaving you well and whole, complete. I'm restoring. The apostles claim that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and he rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationships between humans and their creator. So in Romans 5 verse 1, the apostle Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So here we see Paul referring to this idea of shalom as well. In Colossians 19, 1.19, it says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace, shalom, rene, with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with one another in love. Becoming a people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection, which we're going to celebrate next weekend. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. It's not just pacifism. It's not just escape. True peace requires taking what's been broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of shalom, of peace. So one of my favorite passages in 2 Corinthians 5 reads this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. So remember we talked about the discipleship stasis. If anyone has been born again, has a saving relationship with Jesus, the old has gone, the new is here, and all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. So he made shalom, us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That was God reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he, was committed, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that Jesus would restore what had been broken. And as God's co-workers, can you say co-workers? As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. What is the message of reconciliation? What are we supposed to co-partner with God in doing? It's a nice concept, co-partner with God, co-mission with God, ministry of reconciliation. What, what Paul is describing here is what we see all the way from Genesis to Revelation, that there was a shalom that existed in the garden, and if you read through the creation account, particularly in Genesis 1 and 2, you will see that 
Humanity lived in shalom, in right relationship with God, with others, right relationship with themselves, and right relationship with the created world. We see this again in Revelation 21, 22, when it describes the new heavens and the new earth and what God is in the business of doing, restoring and making all things right, that all things have been made new. That shalom in all four of those spheres, man's relationship with God, man's relationship with other people, man's relationship with himself, their sense of identity, and man's relationship with the world because God gave us a mandate to reign, co-reign with God, and to steward his creation. So there's four spheres of shalom that we, we see in Scripture. So I believe in 2 Corinthians, this is what it's being described as the work of the message of reconciliation, to co, be a co-worker with God, not to receive God's grace in vain. So don't just receive salvation, don't just receive restoration, but now partner with God and what God is doing in the world. So, as I said, I believe that shalom has four spheres. And when I think about the church I see, I, I see a church that is not just interested in a transaction, but transformation. I see a church that's not just interested in salvation, but is interested in partnering with God to bring shalom. Because do you see that salvation is actually the beginning process for an individual to co-partner with God and what he's doing in the world? It's not the end point, it's the beginning point. So shalom, it begins with God and humanity. And so, so when I think of our, our church, I, I see this being reflected in our Sunday services. You know, we come together to connect with God, to be made right with God, to worship God. In our deep stream services, to worship God. You know, it's, it's, it's trying to, to help the process of Sun Westers connect as humans to their creator. You know, something like Alpha would be something we've done in the past where we try and connect people who are not living in right relationship with God to live in a right relationship with God, to restore shalom in that God-human relationship. Another thing that we're, we're, we'll look at going forward, oh, by the way, Centennial is hosting an alpha right now. I don't know if you guys knew that. Colton's talked about that a little bit. Uh, we have one of our students uh, that is at Centennial that goes to SunWest is running alpha out of the high school with some other students from some, from some other churches, and they've had 40, 50 students coming out for alpha at the high school, which is very, very cool. Right? So at, at SunWest, we want to be about helping people connect with God bringing the good news of Jesus, that, that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, that he took our place, and that his resurrection is proof that even death and sin cannot hold him, and he's made a way for us to be in right relationship with God. Part of the way that we want to look at doing this moving forward uh, is something we've talked about in the past, but I want to bring up again. Uh, hearing God, God Seminar Weekend Retreat. Uh, both Pastor Drew and myself have been in uh, mentoring with the church uh, out of Manitoba uh, for some time now. And next year, we're going to be offering a Hearing God seminar. And so it'll be something that happens on a weekend. And all of our leaders and our volunteers, uh, we'll start with them, but it's going to go beyond that. Uh, we'll need to take the seminar at some point uh, because we believe that the starting point for any church leadership is actually this vertical connection with God. 
learning to hear from God, learning to live in obedience under the functional lordship of Jesus in our lives. So that's, at SunWest, we want to be about and, and put priority on this vertical relationship between humanity and with God. Shalom also brings restoration and wholeness to somebody's identity. We hear a lot about identity these days. If you look on the internet, Facebook, Instagram, uh, if you talk to, uh, well, it's not just high school students and young adults, it's, it's, it's adults who are midlife crisis. They're trying to figure out who they are. You know, a few years ago, I, there was a van that drove by my office window and it had spinner rims on it. It was like a 90s Chevy caravan with spinner rims on it. I, I said to myself, there's a dad going through midlife crisis right there. <clears throat> We're all looking for a sense of identity and who we are. And, and, and the world says that you need to find, like just find yourself. You know, we kind of hear that type of language, find yourself. And, and the Bible tells that you cannot find yourself by going inward. It doesn't work that way. In fact, it's only until we recognize that we were created to be in relationship with our creator that we begin to have a sense of identity, a sense of who we are, that we were made to be sons and daughters of the living God. And so at SunWest, we want to be about restoring shalom and uh, not only to vertical relationship for people with God, but also helping people understand their God-given identity. And so there's, there's ministries such as our Sozo Prayer Ministry, which you've heard us talk about. Uh, and obviously that's about connecting with God, but the, the end result of that is giving people a sense of security uh, and understanding about how God sees them and who God made them to be and finding freedom in their life to live out their destiny and their identity uh, with how God made them. You know, another seminar that we will, will be offering in the future, not next year, but probably the following year, two years from now, is we'll begin to run set-free retreats. And so um, this, is all some, this is also something that uh, Pastor Drew and myself have been working towards. And, and it'll be a weekend where we basically help uh, people figure out what is in the way of their relationship with God and how that's affected how they, they are living, the freedom that they're living with, their sense of identity. And so we want to be a part of restoring people's identity uh, in Christ and helping them understand who they are in Christ, the sons and daughters of God. There's other ministries that, that we do, prayer ministry, which we have every Sunday. This is a part of this, right? How do we, how do we help people find freedom uh, and recognize who they are? You'll... As a side note, you'll see in your bulletin, um, I'm just going to give a sh shout out to Graham Lauber. Graham, Graham, are you here? So Graham's right in the middle there. Uh, so Graham is beginning a journey, uh, and, and he's, a, he's a sponsored SunWest missionary now. He's beginning a journey with Journey Canada, um, formerly Living Waters, uh, to bring you know, sexual wholeness and completeness. So that's a shalom idea uh, for people that are struggling with sexual brokenness and sexual addiction and and so we're really excited about what Graham is doing, and, uh, and we bless that, right? So that, you know, SunWest wants to be about helping people find freedom and, and know who they are in Christ. Thirdly, people and people, humans and humans. You know, so, so we believe that a fundamental part of being a disciple of Jesus is not just this vertical relationship or this sense of identity, but part of the way that we understand who we are, understand who God is, is in relationship with other people. That's why the Bible refers to us as the body of Christ. It's this united picture that we are working together, that we actually reveal what God is like to one another. That even our, the way our sin affects one another 
uh, is a part of the refining process. You know, sometimes God uses these painful things that others might bring into your li- lives to refine you and to make you more Christ-like. And so community, hum- you know, human-to-human relationship is a vital part of who we are, who God's calling us to be, part of what it means to bring shalom into this world, not just right relationship with God and self, but also with one another. And so we try and accomplish this through our small group ministries. And, and we need, uh, our small group ministries are fantastic. We have great small group leaders, great small groups. Uh, we need more small groups going forward because part of growing in our relationship with Christ is growing in our relationship with one another. And so our hope is that we have small groups that will, there'll be people that are being mentored in our small group ministries that are going to go and start new small groups. And those new small groups will give a place and a space for new people to come and move further in the relationship with God and others. You know, this is also reflected in our men's ministry, our women's ministry. Um, <clears throat> you know, hopefully in the future will be reflected uh, even in how we, how we run our Sunday mornings. And, and I'm going to come back to the, the building piece later on. But uh, last week uh, for the chili fundraiser, how many of you guys ended up eating your chili outside? <laughs> you know, we were herding you out of this theater. Uh, you know, part of being a portable church has made it challenging to actually uh, foster human relationships with one another. <clears throat> and it's part of something we want to address and do a better job of as we move forward, bringing shalom, uh, peace, relationships with one another. And lastly, humans in the world. You know, so this, is, this can look like a whole lot of things. But when the, when the Bible talks about the world, so God so loved the world, the idea behind the world is not, it, it's, it's people but it's whole groups of people, and it's also systemic, you know, structures and governments and things in our world that might bring systemic uh, oppression or hardship to people. And so when we talk about shalom in the world, we at SunWest want, don't just want to be about us, but also about what God is doing in our world. And so the Mexico trip is gone right now. They're building houses in a, a, pla- in a place in Mexico, uh, a country called Mexico, uh, where there's been much a systemic injustice and oppression and poverty. And, and so we're partnering with God to bring shalom in our world. This is seen, you know, in our El Salvador trips where we're going to build uh, houses with shelter ministries in, in El Salvador, or Thai, Thailand partners. Uh, you know, Greg Taves, one of our Sun Westers, leads, uh, is part of leading partners in, in Thailand, and we send trips once in a while to Thailand, we send groups to do trips there. Uh, even our EAL ministry, which has been a recent thing, but we talked about that a few weeks ago, helping people learn English as another language. What is this doing? It, it, it is it's not only connecting people to people, uh, but it's also creating an avenue for us to respond and walk alongside uh, immigrants and newcomers that are feeling and experiencing the injustice of trying to be a new Canadian and figure out life here. And Romans 8, I don't have the scripture on the screen, but let me just read Romans 8, 18 to 22 for you. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. It's a key verse. Against its will. What is it saying? It's saying because God gave humanity authority to reign and to rule in creation, when humanity rebelled against God, creation, felt, creation itself felt the devastating effects of humanity's sin. You only need to look at the news for a few minutes to recognize that this is true. So against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, 
Listen to this. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation itself, the world itself is waiting for humanity to be reconciled to God and right relationship with God with each other to recognize their God-given identity as sons and daughters of God and that's going to have a ripple effect in the world itself. So when the Bible talks about God's mission, being on mission with God, or Ephesians 4, equipped for the work of ministry, at a 50,000 foot level, what it's talking about is bringing shalom, bringing what God intended in Genesis and brings to completeness and revelation, being a part of what God is doing today, co-partnering with God and what he's doing today. It existed in the garden. It existed in the New Jerusalem, and we are in the space between. We are in between the garden and the city, Genesis and Revelation, co-partnering with God in the work that he's currently doing. And if you're going to become a shalom maker, it begins with recognizing that you've been a shalom breaker. And so we'll see on the slide here that I believe that for us to be a part of what God is doing, it starts with being in right relationship with God. That out of that right relationship with God, we recognize who God has made us to be. We have an identity as sons and daughters of God. And because of our identity, that security, we were able to be in healthier relationships with other people. And as we love other people well, we recognize that there are injustices, systemic injustices in this world that make it hard to love people well. And so we don't only love the individual, we will address systemic issues of injustice and oppression um, because the whole world is actually waiting for the sons and daughters of God to recognize their God-given identity and mission. That's why I believe that peacemaking is greater than pacifism. Because God doesn't call us just to save us so that we can escape. He's not calling us to disengage from conflict. He's actually in calling us to engage in our world and engage in what's going to feel like conflict because we're in the business of shalom making, peacemaking. And so other titles that I thought about for this, this talk, you know, I thought, thought about calling it shalom is greater than salvation. I was like, people are going to take that the wrong way. Uh, but what I'm saying is that salvation, you'll see, is at the beginning of this. And that God's whole intent with his chosen people when he calls people to himself is to co-partner with him on what he's doing. And the first step of that is, is getting into right relationship with him. So you are saved for a pur purpose. Peacemaking is our calling card, not pacifism. God calls us to engagement, not disengagement. So can I try and put way probably too many complex ideas together for you. Okay. If, if, you, if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, this might just feel like tough to wrap your brain around. But, um, you know, when I was doing my master's, this was part of my master's thesis project. And, and, uh, and, and what I feel like is, is significant I believe as leaders, as staff, you know, the, the two questions that we need to be asking, if you're someone in a D3, D4 type of relationship with God, that you're a mature disciple, I think the two questions we need to be asking is, how is what we are doing moving people forward on the path of discipleship? Whether someone's in a place of M4 
or D3 or D4? How are we actually helping people grow? Whether they're far from God or close to God. And the second question, how is what we are doing co-partnering with God to bring shalom to each of the four spheres? God and humans, humans and themselves, humans and humans, and humans in the world. And these things are not unrelated. That the more someone becomes mature as a disciple of Jesus, the more that they're participating with God in his shalom making in the world. And what's fascinating, so stick with me here for a second, is when we think of someone who is very far from God, there's, there's a number of barriers between them understanding who God is, having a relationship with God. We can't, and I've talked about this before, we can't assume that they are going to show up in a church service. That's just not going to happen. And what we have found, and we, what we find increasingly, is that people that are far from God won't ever show up at church. They might not show up at your small group, although they're probably more likely to invite, show up at your small group if you invite them. They will join us in pursuing the felt needs in the world around us. We have more non-disciples joining us on our trips to El Salvador or our trips to Mexico, for example, than anything else that we do. Because whether or not the world recognizes that God, that Jesus uh, is the answer to the world's, what the world needs, the world's problems, they recognize that there is a problem. And so there is an ability to connect with people just on the area of felt needs. So let me, tr let me just try this on you. Okay? So what, what I think happens is that as people become, and, and these, are, these are why the, all of these phases in growth need each other, because if someone is in a, at a cultural distance from responding to the gospel, like an M4, M3 position, it needs D3 and D4 people to engage with them. That although as we grow in our maturity as disciples, we will grow a heart for the world. It's actually in our heart for the world that we will connect with those that are furthest from the gospel. You guys see what I'm saying? And so people might not want anything to do with Jesus or God, but they want to respond to a broken world. They might not want anything to do with Jesus or God, but they want to restore relationship with others. And so we need disciples who are in their maturity who are, who are growing in their understanding of walking in shalom with other people and, and bringing shalom to the world to reach out to people that are far from God, to partner with them actually because they have a heart for shalom even though they don't know the source of shalom. And D3 and D4 will actually be significant in affecting and, and, and connecting with those who are in an M3, M4 position. And here's another thing that happens. Have you ever noticed that the people that are just new believers in Jesus are often those that connect most freely and openly with those who aren't? If we do not have new people coming to know Jesus, we will, not, those, we will struggle to have more new people coming to know Jesus. Because the people that come to know Jesus are usually the people that bring their friends to church. 
If you've been coming to Sunday for a long time, my guess is you've been inviting less people to church. If you've been coming for a short amount of time or you're new in your faith, you've probably, in your excitement and your fervor of what's happening in your life, you have shared it with your friends more freely. And so we need the whole scope of discipleship to also meet the whole scope of what God wants to do in our world. I hope that makes sense. Felt needs in our world and for others is one of the best ways to build a relationship with those who are far from God. And so when we think of serve day, you know, we're looking at doing a, doing a serve day on a Sunday morning, the beginning of June. When we think of serve day, this will be an opportunity for us to connect with people that will never darken the doors of a church. Many in our world are asking questions around identity, but don't see their relationship with God playing a role in that. But we start with where they are. We start with those felt needs. And part of, so I, I was, I'm going to talk about the capital campaign that we're going to start here on April 8th. And um, I was, uh, I'm doing a bit of a small group tour right now. And one of the small groups I was at, you know, we were talking about, you know, a bunch of activity that the church can do moving forward. And they said, how are you going to do that? Uh, and I said, I'm not. Uh, because I, you know, I, my role is to be Tyron Lue, not LeBron James. My role is to build capacity. Uh, and so I think two things. We, we need to, as leaders, we need to build capacity in our body to be about uh, all of, to bring shalom in all of these spheres, to reach people from M4 all the way to D4, to be strategic in how we do that. And it's going to take input from every single person. There's no one person that can do this. So how are we going to do it? And, and, I, and I said to this, that small group that I was at, I said, um, you know, I just, I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep preaching on it and I'm going to see what sticks. Because uh, what's happening over time as we think about this, as we dream about it, as we talk about it, there's something that's coming alive in our body. You know, something like EAL, which, was, which, is, which is great, is something that was already happening in our body. I didn't do anything. Uh, you know, we had Sam and Dar Ramirez and Sharon and Brad Pahal. You know, they had the heart and they were already participating in this kind of thing. And I, my role is I feel like I'm just going to throw gasoline on the fires that God is already starting. You know, when you're cooking spaghetti, right? I, I've never done it, but apparently you know, what it, you, you know it's good to eat when you throw it at the wall and it sticks, right? That's when it's good. And, and, I, and I think as we move forward and we're throwing stuff at the wall, there's more and more and more things sticking, and people are getting excited about what's sticking for them. And I've heard people sharing with me the dreams of what they feel like God might be birthing in them as we think about what God is birthing in our church in the future. And what I want to emphasize here as we head into a capital campaign for the purchase of the building in Mindapur and Connections Church is if we are going to be holistic in bringing shalom to the world, it needs to be more than a Sunday morning. If we are going to build capacity in a community of faith, we need to have an avenue in which to do that. Part of the benefit I see of having a permanent space in a permanent community is not just for the outreach in that community, and that's a big part of it, but it's also about increasing the capacity for us to, be, to mature in our discipleship relationship with Jesus. You know, you look at even something like the Set Free Weekend or the, the Hearing God Weekend. Those are all things that become more available for us as we figure out ways to do discipleship and mission, not just on a Sunday morning, but midweek. We can be more strategic 
in how are we moving people from one place to the next? How are we actively partnering with God to bring shalom to a broken world? I'm going to invite you to stand with me. See, the, uh, the church I see is a church that has mature Christ followers, leaders who understand that God is calling them to create a capacity for greater ministry in the church. The church I see doesn't stop at transaction. It constantly pursues transformation. The church I see doesn't stop at salvation. It knows that its salvation was for the purpose of shalom, for the purpose of mission. The church I see is full of shalom breakers. That's all of you. Shalom breakers that are now working as shalom makers because they've been made right with God. They seek to bring peace between God and others. They're uncompromising on the good news that Jesus Christ is our peace and has made a way for us to live at peace with God. They regularly give opportunity for people to respond to this life-changing truth. Each person is growing in their understanding that they carry this message of peace, of shalom, wherever they go. I see a church where people of all ages and backgrounds are entering into relationship with Jesus for the first time. The church I see is full of people that recognize their status as sons and daughters of God. This is a security, this gives security in their identity and it gives them courage and fortitude to face whatever life throws their way. I see individuals that have been set free from whatever has happened in their past that has prevented them from walking in their identity as a child of God. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but this church will co-labor with God to return what has been stolen, bring to life what has been killed, and restore what's been destroyed. The church I see is busting at the seams with people who know firsthand the int that intimacy with God leads to passion for God, which will lead to compassion for others. The church I see recognizes that the love of neighbor is the litmus test for the love of God, and it seeks to live in shalom with all people as far as it depends on them. The church I see knows that loving your neighbor extends to fighting issues of systemic injustice. It knows that God created the, world, the whole world to be his home and we will take our responsibility as his tenant seriously. The church I see recognizes that all of creation is groaning and in waiting for the sons and daughters of God to step up. So let's step up, church. This is the church I see. So Father, we just... Uh, We just thank you that your plan is to bring your heavenly kingdom to earth. <clears throat> and Lord, that you would save us and restore us and allow us to live out the mandate that you originally gave us at the creation of the world to care and steward the world. Lord, I pray that you would burden us with a heart uh, for those who are broken, for those that are hurting, for those that need uh, to know their identities as they were created to be your sons and daughters. Lord, that you would give us a heart to respond with courage to the injustices in our world. And Lord, that you would increase in us a capacity uh, to equip and release your saints, your people for the work of ministry to which you've called us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.